So about 10 years ago, my wife Anna and I, we moved to London from Devon. We were new to the city, feeling pretty overwhelmed, pretty out of our depth, and we were looking for a church. So we'd heard of KXC, uh, it just got going, and it was led by two celebrity pastors, Pete and B. Hughes, and we thought, this sounds epic, this must be good. So we hopped on a bus, went down to the Lumen Centre, which is the first building that KXC was in, and first impressions, we popped our head in, first impressions were massively underwhelming. B, B was great, B was brilliant. But Pete, we were used to seeing Pete on a stage preaching to thousands, just cracking gags that he was laughing at and just in his absolute element. And here he was, one minute, uh, drumming the cajon completely out of time. The next he's running to the back to fiddle with the sand desk, no change there. The next he's running to the front to preach with huge sweat patches. And, and we just thought, wow, how things have changed. And yet beneath the chaos, and there really was chaos in those days, and still to a certain extent, uh, was beauty. Immediately recognisable beauty. We'd come to what felt like a wild city and we'd stumbled across a community with a wild dream. And that was to create home. To create home. They had the talk of this prophetic vision of rolling out a red carpet into the streets of King's Cross that people from all walks of life could walk up and come into the church and come into the arms of a father who loves them, meet with the saviour Jesus who died for them and find home. I was working in politics at the time and it's a place that traded on the currency of division and opposition. We're in a city that was so marked out by socioeconomic differences that didn't seem to be united and yet in that backdrop was this intoxicating, beautiful vision of home around the person of Jesus and we were completely hooked. We found home in that place. I wanna tell you that 10 years on, it's just as intoxicating a vision. Society needs it just as much now as it did then. People from all backgrounds finding home in a church community around the person of Jesus. Never stop trying to create home for people from all walks of lives and backgrounds. It's a beautiful vision. We found home in that community and it's been our home for the last 10 years. And today in some ways represents us moving out of home to go and start a new home, to move from this church to go and plant a new church down in Devon called St. Basil's. And as we do that, we've got so many emotions going on. But I just want to reflect to you some of the things we've learned by talking about the four founding values that St. Basil's is going to have. And I want to talk about those because they're a reflection of our time here. They're a reflection of the things that have got in our bones since being a part of this community here at KXE. The four values of this, four values are sort of like four ways of life, four postures towards the world. And they go like this. The presence-driven life. The descending life. The open life. And the imaginative life. The presence-driven life, the descending life, the open life, and the imaginative life. I just want to go through each of them really quickly. The presence-driven life. Exodus 13, 21 to 22. By the day, the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, so that they could travel by day or by night. Neither the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night left its place in front of the people. Exodus 33:15. Then Moses said to him, If your presence, God, does not go with us, do not send us up from here. 
How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? The presence-driven life is all about being a church that prioritizes the presence of God, that looks out for what he is doing in the world and tries to get on board with it. The invitation of the Christian life is not to invite God into our story, but for him to invite us into his, to join in with what he is already doing. It's why I absolutely love absolutely love the fact that we've had no building all of these years it's kept us on our toes and dependent on him it's kept us praying and following the presence of god not settling for something strategic and comfortable and simple i absolutely love that in this strange time that we've been in one of the things that we've been doing is these interviews called reading the times and the question has been what do you see that god is doing where is the spirit leading us in these times the presence-driven life is all about prayer and worship as our two main weapons for seeing the kingdom of God advance and the walls fall down that hold people captive. I love that we were in Scala and we were just roaring out in intercession. That The weapon we turned to was a melody, it was a prayer, it was a shout, it was a roar and that, that roar went around the world. As a cry of our hearts that God's kingdom would come. Presence-driven life. The presence-driven life is all about being daily filled with the Holy Spirit. I think I learned really this sunk in for me through probably the worst experience of my, of my life so far. And one of the key moments in, in our time in London. We had two kids at the time, Arlo and then Kit. Um, and, uh, and there was one night, it was about quarter to twelve, I was heading upstairs. And I could just hear this kind of strange noise from the bedroom where Kit was sleeping in with my wife Anna and I thought a bit as odd and I, and I got into bed and I lay down it was still making uh, a strange noise and so I tapped Anna on the shoulder and said is everything all right with Kit um, and uh, and she lifted him up and all I remember is just this blood-curdling scream uh, and, I, and, I, and I jumped up and turned the light on and we could see Kit our beloved son and uh, and his eyes were just frozen open and his jaw was locked and he was drooling and foaming from the mouth and he was gone sort of a shade of grey. And he looked like he was choking. I tried to get my finger into his mouth to put it out, but his teeth were just clenched tight and I couldn't get it. And so I was like, what, what do we do? So we, we ran downstairs, um, carrying Kit. Anna just grabbed her phone, just ran into the street. I remember just shouting for help in the street, just asking if there was any doctors around. It's midnight. Uh, and I ran and, and took him into the sitting room. As we crossed over the threshold in the sitting room, the lights were actually on in there, bizarrely. And I looked at him and, and I'll never forget it, but he'd, he'd gone blue and uh, his eyes had rolled back in his head and he was limp. And I, as I crossed over that threshold, I was like, I have ac he's actually died. We've actually lost him. In that moment, there were two really clear thoughts in my mind, as clear as day. The first was this just incredibly focused love. I've never felt love so concentrated and focused as that moment. I was looking and thinking, no, 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 you are perfect. You are perfect. I love you so much. I love you so much. And the second was this reality of, I, I think you have died. I think the worst thing that could possibly happen has happened. And in that moment, I just remember thinking really clearly, you don't have breath in your body, but I've got breath in mine. So I lay him on the floor 
in our sitting room, lifeless on the floor, and just start giving him mouth to mouth as best as I knew how. And it's this surreal moment of his body inflating and deflating, inflating and deflating. And we did it for four or five minutes until the ambulance came. And then he opened his eyes and looked back at me. I'll never forget that moment. That has been a source of trauma for me for the years since. And yet it's also been this source of great teaching for me about how God sees us and about the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And I can't help but think that when God looks down upon us, he sees us metaphorically speaking, dying, hurting each other, speaking badly of each other, being divided, people living in poverty, people filled with self-hatred, self-medicating their way through life. All of these things, he sees us dying and he looks at us, not with anger, but with raw father's love and he's just focused love. I love you. I love you. I love you. And you know what? I have breath in me that you need. And the key words of the spirit of God is breath. Ruach. And he breathes it into his disciples. And that is honestly, I believe, his heart for each and every one of us to live a presence driven life, to live a life that is sustained by his breath that helps us be the kind of people we were made for. When I looked at Kit that, that night, I was like, no, you were made for life, not for death. I'm going to breathe into you. And I honestly believe that that is how God speaks over us. He loves us, wants us to be alive. And he breathes his breath into us and puts his spirit into us. So my prayer for KXE moving forward is that in 10 years time, we would still be talking about following a, a guide, not a map. We'd not have fallen for the strategic uh, uh, trick. I pray that we'd be on fire with the presence of God, that out of lockdown, we wouldn't gather around each other to try and warm up. We would be a gathering of those already on fire because, you know, the presence of God in our ordinary lives. I pray it would be a holier community because the desire for the presence of God is displaced the desire for sin in our lives. Those are my prayers. Presence-driven life. The second one is a descending life. Here's the scripture from Philippians 2. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The context that that is written in is a Roman culture and in Roman culture they had something called the course of honour and it was all these stages that were marked out that they needed to rise to to achieve honour in society, to become godlike in society, to have a statue in the heart of the city, to be celebrated. And this course of honour was all about victory and triumph and accumulation and an upward journey where you trample on others to get above them. And, and, and it's all about the, the defeating of others so that you can rise to the top and finally achieve godlike status and be honoured and celebrated and have worth and identity in the eyes of those around you. And yet into that culture came Jesus Christ of Nazareth. He redefines everything. He redefines what 
a course of honour is. He doesn't talk about and live an upward life. He lives a descending life. Well, while the Romans, while the culture was trying to get from man to God, he was God descending in flesh as man. While culture was accumulating, he was giving away. While culture was suppressing others, he was washing feet. While culture was buying war horses for victories, he was borrowing a donkey and weeping over a city. While we were killing, he was dying. And I want to ask you, when he was on that donkey weeping over a city, a position of such weakness and humility, was he any less God? When he was washing the disciples' feet and pushing the dirt out of the creases of their feet, was he any less God? When he was nailed to that cross, disabled, humanly speaking, was he any less God? No, he was not. In those moments, he wasn't suspending his divinity, giving it up somehow in order to become human. No, he was expressing his divinity, defining his divinity. He was showing us what God is like. That was the God that he has freely chosen to be, the kind of God that washes feet, rides donkeys and dies on a splinter-ridden cross so that we might have life. He descends, he gives himself up, he empties himself out that we might rise and have life, life we don't deserve. And so we want to plant a church. As Bonhoeffer talks about Jesus was a man for others, so we need a church for others. Well, we want to plant a church that is a church for others. And we do that because we've learned it here. The vision has always been to recklessly give ourselves away, pour ourselves out to guard each other and the people of King's Cross and beyond. And just the stories coming out of Seoul in the city back in the day, out of Pentonville Prison, XLP, CAP, Brunch, the drop-in, food bank, never start a list because you can never finish it but activities like that have just been a beautiful expression of this community of people trying to wash the feet of this city and it's got in our bones we want to plant a church like that my prayer is for kxc that the poor and the marginalized the outcast the judged the rejected they would never ever ever be anything other than at the center of the community and the story of kxc and that a compassionate heart for those on the margins would be at the centre of the church. That it would be in the hearts of many and not just in the hearts of a faithful few. Come Holy Spirit, stir us up for a descending life. Third value, the open life. The scriptures from Acts 2, 42 to 47. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favour of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. This is all about living a life where we share our life and our love and our things our possessions, our stories in a way that draws others into that community, draws others in to the life and the love of God. The church is made in the image of God, right? We are made in the image of God and God is Trinity, three in one, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. This mutual dance of love and affection and mutual submission. And yet it's not a closed off community. So satisfied in itself that it can't make room for others. No, he being love, somehow part of being love is to share that love. And so as one theologian put it to me, like the, the three make room for a fourth, us. 
however unclean, however uh, uncooperative we might be, they want to dance with a fourth us. God shares who he is and what he has with us. And you see in Jesus, every, if you just read through how he ate meals and who he ate them with, he, just, he lived his life in a way that drew others into the love and life of God. And you read this in the Acts passage. They, they, had, they, they used their homes, they used their possessions, they used their lives in such a way, such an open way that people felt included and drawn in, that they could taste and see that the Lord is good. We cannot keep to ourselves the gospel. We've got to share it radically with those around us. We cannot keep to ourselves our money and our stories and our possessions and our homes. Our homes are not vanity projects. They're to be used to welcome in those in need and the apostles on journeys of faith around the country. We want to be that church. We want to plant that kind of church because we've seen that kind of church. We've been a part of it here. Think about the All In campaign just now where we raised nearly £300,000. You guys open up your lives to release resources in that way that release mission. We heard stories recently of, of, of prisoners in Pentonville. If you're listening, we love you guys. And, and, and using your money that you buy canteen food in order to give food to those in need. Uh, in the communities around here through the food bank and prison guards dropping off for the church is just a beautiful vision of what the kingdom of God is like. People giving to us as a family, we've experienced this. People are opening up their resources to support us when we've been in need and haven't been able to make ends meet. People have put money through the door. Right now, people are giving to birth a new church. It's a beautiful way of living an open life. Hundreds of you have opened your homes up to create home for people right the way across this city in our hubs. We want to be a community like that. We've tasted it here. My prayer for KXE going forward, more diversity, more openness in our heart to make room for those unlike ourselves, to open up our tables when we can do that again, to welcome in those who don't look like us, sound like us and act like us. Renewed vision of ownership that will release even more generosity. And I pray, I pray for a future home for KXC in the heart of King's Cross that would have open doors to the community around it. Serving, washing the feet, living an open life that draws people into the love of God. That's the third one. The fourth one is the imaginative life. Scripture is this, Revelation 21.5, you know it by now. And the one seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Exodus 4, 2-4, the Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? A staff, he replied. The Lord said, throw it on the ground. Moses threw it on the ground and it became a snake and he ran from it. Then the Lord said to him, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. So Moses reached out, took hold of the snake and turned back into a staff in his hand. I love the story of the, the Celts. The story goes that there's this tradition when the winter started rolling in and the early evening started rolling in and night started to fall, before they lit their first oil lamp, they would stare straight at the darkness and say, I beg to differ. They'd look into the darkness and say, I beg to differ and then light the lamp. It's such an amazing story of what it means to have, a, have an imaginative life, to be filled with our minds with the prophetic imagination where we can say to the darkness and with the darkness in the world, we say, I beg to differ. I see a different ending to this story. I know how it ends. I don't want to collapse into the status quo and think that the things that we see in the world now are settled and permanent. No, 
Have you heard of Jesus? He's, he's risen from the grave. Another way, another future is possible. Darkness has not overcome the light. Talks in the Bible, doesn't it, about faith of, of a mustard seed. And the mustard seed is the smallest seed, and yet it would grow and cause chaos and take over everywhere. And, and, and this is what the kingdom of God is like. Faith is a mustard seed. You don't eat much. But when we sow those seeds... Anything can happen. Anything can change. This story about what is in your hand, I honestly think it's the most important missional question we can ask ourselves because it puts the kingdom of God in the hands of ordinary people. You and I, we might not have much. Moses had a stick and yet God used him mightily. What is in your hand? Is it a spare room? Is it money? Is it an idea? This question puts puts the kingdom of God in the hands of ordinary people and it raises our imagination for what could happen. And we've seen this. We want to plant a church like that. We want to plant a church like that in Devon because we've seen it here. We've learned it here. It's got in our bones here. Thinking about rubies in the rubble back in the day, Jenny Dawson, now Costa, had a recipe for a chutney. She's now gone on to um, save so much food waste. I don't even know how much it is now. It's tons and tons and tons of food waste. Thinking about York House back in the day and tent emerging, the cinema emerging, the boutique uh, emerging there where, where people donated. What was in their hands? Spare clothes, spare kids' clothes, spare cots. And, and they create this beautiful space where, 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 where parents who are used to rummaging through bins in charity shops trying to afford stuff for their kids were able to go to that boutique they're able to be treated with dignity the love of the father and say hey we've hung all this stuff up we've washed it we've ironed it come and have an experience of what it looks like to be loved by god choose the best things you possibly can for your kids and take them home for free what is in your hands kids clothes and a dingy room in the corner of your house and the kingdom of god burst out mustard seeds Banquet, joy, crux, so many things emerging at the moment. It's beautiful. People living with an imaginative life. It's got in my bones and I want to see that imaginative life, that prophetic imagination, that hopeful imagination. Bear fruit in the southwest. My prayer for KXC, more ideas to flow, but more than that, more courage to follow them. To give up our own agendas, to join in with what God is doing. That King's Cross, and this is my prayer, that King's Cross, when we visit again in, in one year's time, in five years' time, in ten years' time, would experience shalom, holistic transformation as a result of the wild dreams and prophetic imagination of this church. We're planning a church with those values, the presence-driven life, the descending life, the open life and the imaginative life because that is what we've learned church is like through being at KXC and we are so grateful for that. I pray now, Jesus, wherever you are, wherever people are listening to this, Holy Spirit, would you fall? Come and fill your church to be all it can be in this part of the city. And I just want to pray a blessing over you guys as we duck out of the story. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Amen.